HerbMentor.com. This is HerbMentor Radio. You're listening to HerbMentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is David Bruce Leonard. David is a practitioner and teacher of all five branches of Chinese medicine, acupuncture, herbal medicine, massage, food medicine, and martial arts. Besides studying traditional medicines with healers in Asia, North, and South America, David has also studied Hawaiian native plants for over 20 years and is author of Medicine at Your Feet, Healing Plants of the Hawaiian Kingdom and Wild Wisdom, Listening to the Heart of Nature. David founded the Earth Medicine Institute, and you can visit David at earthmedicineinstitute.com. David will also be teaching at the upcoming International Herb Symposium, which is happening June 28th to the 30th, 2013, near Boston, along with dozens of amazing herbal educators. Happens once every two years, and it's awesome. And information for that is at internationalherbsymposium.com. Aloha, David. Hi, John. How are you? Well, um, it is. that's the extent of my, my Hawaiian. <laughs> <laughs> that works. So what island are you on? Uh, right now, I'm on the big island in Hilo, but I also spend quite a bit of time on Maui. Okay. And um, so I'm curious about your um, path as an herbalist. Um, did, are you from Hawaii or, or how, did, how, did, how did this all happen that you ended up doing this work? I actually, well, I grew up on the East Coast in New England, and, um, but uh, I was living in Colorado. I, I went to Naropa when I... Um, Europa Institute when I graduated from high school and I was there and my um, I married a woman who was an herbalist and she um, had a really a pretty strong influence on me so I started studying the the herbs in the Rocky Mountains with her and then I moved oh and then I moved to California and went to uh, acupuncture school in Santa Cruz mm. and I fell in love with Chinese herbs and I moved to Hawaii in 1991, and um, one of the things that I, I, I thought was really curious about um, about my Chinese teachers is they were, of course, phenomenal herbalists, but they didn't know what the plants looked like. They didn't have a connection. They didn't connect the plant to what they were using in the clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them had treated over 100,000 patients but didn't know what these plants looked like that they were using. So I, I felt like... Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to make that connection. I, I've always been an environmentalist, so I um, began studying with Hawaiian Hawaiian practitioners who knew the plants very well, and then it took off from there. Okay, so um, and then you and were there are like how does that work in Hawaii? Like were the people doing workshops? Did you find native elders to work with or to mentor you? Or you yeah, I, well at first nobody would teach me because I have um, I'm very white. Mm-hmm. And um, but eventually, I had some elders take me under their wing. There was about seven or eight of them who took me under their wing. And um, you know, there's a certain there's a certain way you have to approach Hawaiian elders that's different than you might do it, you know, in North America or, or whatever in other in other uh, cultures. So I had I learned very quickly what to do and what not to do in order to um, to be appropriate with them, and I did. And they. Um, they taught me a lot, and then after most of them are gone now, and then I continued to expand my awareness of, of Hawaiian plants because many of the plants that grow in Hawaii also grow in the tropics all over the world. So I began to cross-reference um, 
these plants with um, w- from other cultures, how they were used in other cultures. Uh, a friend of mine, Robert Newman, is a, runs the herb department at Emperor's College in um, California, and um, he translates Chinese texts. So he was very kind and translated a, a lot of Chinese texts about the local plants. And then I, I have a pretty good size herb library, so I kept I started cross referencing and um, took it from there, and I've been expanding it ever since. And so, like, did you travel to? You say you've done a lot with South American herbs or Asian. Did you travel to these places as well, or did you? Yeah, I, yes, I did. I I, um, I studied in the Amazon basin for a while, and um, and I've been in Thailand. I spent a lot of time in Nepal. Um, I've never been to China. I'd like to go there. So I when, and also whenever I uh, friends of mine when they would travel, they would send me books from different places. So I've kind of got, I have plant books from all over the world of the uses of the plants, mostly the tropics, but also other places. Right. Are you someone who like just really likes to know the plant? You know, in its you know, <laughs> getting to know it in person and learning to use it versus the book because it sounds like you got the books and stuff, but the ones you get to know more intimately that you use with your patients and all are do you tend to use more herbs that are ones that you know can either grow or harvest in your area? I, it depends on it depends on my situation. If I have a, a full pharmacy where I'm at, like a Chinese pharmacy, I'll tend to use the prepared herbs from the book knowledge. Um, but if I don't have a full pharmacy, then I will use the local plants that I'm much, much more familiar with personally. Mm-hmm. I you know, I, my, um, one of the things I learned from my Hawaiian teachers was, um, how to connect with plants directly. One of my, one of my Hawaiian teachers name was, uh, Bill Kanekoa. And one of the things I learned from him is that, um, it wasn't enough just to tell plants who they were. I had to actually listen to who they were. That's a whole nother part of the brain and a whole nother part of the nervous system. So at, at Earth Medicine Institute, we really focus on both, on the, on the linear sort of cognitive part of plant medicine and then also on the somatic intuitive part. And, and I think they're both really important personally. Yeah, so what the Hawaiian teachers told you, um, are these taught you on how to connect with the plant? Are these teachings that you also are able to pass on to your students? Are these teachings that people can use anywhere? Like, I'm curious on how, like, the, the gifts of the, you know, the, the elders of your area can kind of help people all over learn about plants. Yeah, my Hawaiian teachers, uh, it's very much, um, in Hawaiian culture, you don't ask questions. And they, they don't give you a lot of um, data. They're not big on downloading data, mm-hmm. lists of things and things like that. There's a, um, there's a saying in Hawaii, oh, well, if I would ask a question, actually, sometimes they would say, why are you so niele? Like, why are you so nosy? <laughs> I learned very quickly not to ask questions, right? And then... There's a Hawaiian phrase. It go. It says, um, "Nana kamaka, ho alohe kapepeyao, ame paakavaha," means open your eyes, open your ears, and be quiet. Shut your mouth. And so, it was very much a traditional style to just watch very carefully and be quiet and observe and uh, kind of assimilate that way. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I learned. So. A lot of what I learned from my Hawaiian teachers was sort of through osmosis and through observation. Um, 
I would watch the way they moved their bodies. I would I would follow the way they were thinking when they were describing things, and I would just basically imitate. And so a lot of the conclusions I came to in the material I teach is from that, from what I absorbed from them and from my own conclusions about what they were doing. Okay, so let's take an example. Um, there's, it's, can you think of a plant that you were curious to learn about? Hawaiian elders didn't give you much data, but you learned through using, by opening your eyes and opening your well, ears. Yeah, they would give me some data. It wasn't that they didn't tell me anything, but in terms of how to listen or how to open myself to plants, it wasn't that direct. They would say this is for colds or this is for hemorrhoids, but they wouldn't say sit down. And um, the, what they would say to me is you always enter the forest with your na'au, always, and you always pray. So I did that. I did what they said. I, I entered the forest with my na'au, which is um, na'au is a Hawaiian word for guts or belly or abdomen. And I always pray before and after doing any herbal practice. So, And from doing that, I began to notice things in my own body. So I knew that this plant they were talking about was, say, good for broken bones. But I, but they couldn't, they, or they couldn't or didn't give me their direct experience of that plant. I had to learn that on my own. So I would just sit with the plant and watch what happened in my body. You know, first just sitting with it, then smelling it, then tasting it, and then eventually noticing, oh, when I sit with this plant, this is what I notice in my body. And then I would compare it to my friends who use that plant and just, you know, over time sort of gradually assimilating that information and creating a personal relationship with that plant. And then has that then given you the information you need as a practitioner? Do you, as a, I mean, you, I know you're a practitioner of Asian medicine, but when you're working with uh, patients, um, do you use uh, herbs that you've learned about uh, in, in Hawaii through this process? Oh, yeah. I, I use herbs differently than anybody I know because I have, you know, some plants, I mean, for very bizarre things, some plants I'll use for grief. Some plants I will use for allergies. It's never been written in a book that this plant is for allergies, but that's how I use it. So um, the only thing, I've only done this with Hawaiian plants because the Chinese herbs are not alive when I'm using them in the clinic, so I've never actually done this. It might be interesting to try to connect with a, a dried herb, but um, the only sort of non-linear, non-cognitive data I've gotten from plants has been with live, living plants. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, because I'm, I'm interested in that because this, because, uh, you know, we teach on one level, on, on like on a website, for example, for giving people uh, lessons or teaching them how to use plants. We can give them instructions. We can tell them about ingredients or where to pick something. But what we, um, but what I think that uh, we, we lack is that sense, like what you were saying, that you're, you're always listening, always praying. Um, you know, that gets a little... Oh, you know, for lack of a better word, a little uh, woo-woo or whatever for people when you're trying to, because they don't know really quite how to approach it. I mean, how do you do this in a, because for you, it's a very grounded thing because it's rooted in a culture and you are fortunate to live in a place with an herbal culture that you can, you know, draw from. So um, are there, are, is there ways that people can draw this into, like I say, I'm going out and I'm harvesting uh, hawthorn flowers or dandelion in my area. What, what are things you could do to kind of connect and um, really learn about the plants on that level? 
Well, you know, we live in a very sort of reductionist, linear culture. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the one of the great gifts of Western society, and also one of the great downfalls. So, we value data, but we don't value the relationships between a, a teacher and a student. There's something, and the Taoists talk about this too. There's a, there's a field create. I mean, I'm sure you remember um, your favorite elementary school teacher. Mm -hmm. That relationship is huge. Mm -hmm. That relationship impacts our life in a tremendous way. And we never acknowledge that relationship because it's a nonlinear relationship. We can't quantify it. We, we don't know how to describe that in, in, Western, in scientific um, language. So we don't. And because we don't describe it, we don't actually, essentially, we don't value it. So I believe that, that the data we get from the web and from books and from teachers is really important. But the field between things, the relationship between things is also really important. And I think if people are willing, I mean, we can go out and, you know, you can make up stuff in your head about data you're getting from a plant and whatever, you know, the new age stuff. But if you have somebody to model that's very grounded, like a lot of the data I will get about plants is just roof brain chatter. It's just my own thoughts about taxes or my partner or whatever, right? I mean, right? And but there's a there's a really significant difference between information that I get that that kind of hits me on a gut level and brain chatter. And I think there's two things that's needed, or I, I judge that there's two things that would be good for people. One would be to have somebody to kind of walk them through that process. And the other thing would be a um, noticing the difference in themselves between when their brain is just kind of squawking and when there's a, a somatic and visceral kind of mm. epiphany. So when I'm working with a patient, and this is something that, you know, we develop over a lifetime. It's not, you know, there's an intuitive, um, I don't even know the word for it. There's a powerful connection with, we have with other people and we can develop that. That's something that is developable that we've lost in the West, but, but it's in our nervous systems. We just have to awaken it. So I think that, um, the ability to go in and notice what's happening in our body when we're with a patient, when we're with our lover or when we're with a plant is a really good place to start for that. Uh, that makes sense. Just kind of like trusting more of the feelings that you, sensations that you have and then, and then connecting that with your experiences when you're going out and working with a plant. Yeah. And not believing everything you think. Mm -hmm. you know, like when my Hawaiian teachers would talk about, um, would talk about we you know I teach gathering protocols there there's a really strong um strong awareness of what's going on around the Hawaiians call it ho'ailona means uh, omens so we're really paying attention so when you're asking permission if it, you know you're asking permission to gather from a place we don't really have to worry about you know our roof brain chatter and the imaginary voices in our heads you know we'll know if it's not okay i mean a bird will poop on us or we'll lose our car keys or will sprain an ankle or, you know, something. So that's what they're watching for. They're not um, running kind of mental games in their head. They're watching the environment. Is everything really okay? And then checking in with their body. Do I really feel okay? And that's good enough right. for my whole for my, to check in and say, okay, is this okay to gather or are things really not flowing? That's also a very Taoist idea. Right. 
And that's something we all experience if something doesn't feel okay or not. Like, you know, like if we, we, we know that. So it's just like paying right. attention to that and getting in touch with that quiet mind. I'm interested in um, gathering protocols. I think you're teaching a class on that at International Herb Symposium. Do you have anything you want to share about that? Because that sounds really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of gathering protocols. I, they're... There, um, you know, even in Hawaiian culture and in Chinese culture, there's different gathering protocols. And in Hawaiian culture, there was um, each family would have its own protocol and would have a different deity that it might that it might worship, which was actually often an ancestor. The deities were thought to be ancestors. Um, and you know, there's specific things that are done. You'll use a uh, right hand when gathering for a male, left hand when gathering for a female, and and this this chants and prayers and stuff. I think those are those are interesting and and somewhat important. But I think for me, what's more important is that there's a sense of the sacred when we're gathering. That we're we're taking what we're doing out of our normal, you know, put out the cat and feed the dog context. There's like a, a we're creating sacred space, and that I think is the most important thing. And it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be pompous or you know demonstrative. You know, it can be very comfortable. My Hawaiian teachers, when they were gathering herbs, would not put on a big show, but they were creating sacred space. That was absolutely what was happening. It was unmistakable. The Hawaiians have a term called uhanui nui, which means big spirit. And somebody walks in the room with Ohane Nui and, and you just feel it in your body. It's like, oh, wow. And some people are like that. They walk into a room and they, they have a command presence. And that is um, that's something that is very, it's, it's not put on. It's very natural for them. They just have a lot of mana, a lot of spiritual power um, without showing off or bragging or anything. So, you know, when when... I think the important thing about gathering protocols, at least for me, is that we're real and we're honest with ourselves. We're self-confronting, but also that we that we um, we create a space that's sacred, that it takes us out of our normal daily mind and brings us to a different place within our bodies and within our nervous system, and that that's what's important to me. Do you? Do you, did you find for the gathering protocols that, um, like you're just talking about here, that when you went to other, uh, like in South America, for example, or maybe Nepal, that there was um, a similarity or, or, or is, is there something unique to uh, Hawaiian uh, medicine? Well, I think both. I think, you know, um, yeah, there's definitely similarities. There's um, there's always prayer in all cultures, and there's always connection. Um, uh, Matt Kirk and I were up. You know Matt. Yeah, right? I do. Matt, Matt from uh, from when he was here at uh, in in our area, taught at a local wilderness school. Yeah, Matt and I were up at the top of um, up top of Kauai one day. This was a couple of years ago, and I had known Matt for years at that point, but I'd never gone out into the woods with him. We were out and, and um, we we're just talking and, and um, he looked at a, I looked at a plant. I said, oh, a mouse has been, uh, no, I said, oh, something's eating that plant. And Matt said, yeah, a mouse. I said, there's a mouse here? This is a native forest, you know, very pristine native forest. He said, yeah, there's a mouse right underneath that plant. I said, I've never seen a mouse in native forest. And he looked at me and said, I've seen six of them since I've been up, since we've been up here. Right. So he's a tracker. He's a tracker. And I'm a plant guy. So he's seeing, he's not seeing the plants 
and I'm not seeing the animals, right? The mice, right? So as we were up there, we were um, we were talking about the ways that we relate to um, gathering gathering practices, but also just connecting to the woods, to the forest. And I said, oh, yeah, well, when I do this, I go into this place called Hakalau. I use peripheral vision. And he looked at me and said, really? He said, I do that too. I learned that it's a Native American practice. We call it owl eyes. Hmm. Really? I said, I said, what do you, oh, he said, what do you call it when you're moving? I said, well, we call that Hakahele. And he said, oh, we call that fox walk. And it turns out that there were almost identical practices that I had learned from Hawaiians that he had learned um, from Native American teachers, I'm sure from um, John Young and Tom Brown Jr., but also in Africa. And I realized that this is the same practices. Wow. These are the, neurologically the same practices. It was scary. And we there was like five or six things that we were doing that were identical from totally different cultures. Probably gratitude, right, and Thanksgiving as well. Gratitude, but also very specific neurological things, feeling with your belly. And I, I think these are these are traditional tribal ways or hunter-gatherer ways of activating our nervous system. They're actually techniques that cultures pass on because they work. He tells funny stories about peripheral vision and when he was um, in the Kalahari Desert in Africa and just funny stories about, you know, teaching the children how to use peripheral vision, little games they'd play. Because if you're, if you're a, you know, a toddler in Africa in the Kalahari, you have, to be, you have to use peripheral vision to avoid being eaten by hyenas and, and big cats and things. So... And I find the same thing with um, with gathering practice too. There's various, there's almost predictable things that happen. There's an, there's um, the creation of sacred space. There's an expression of gratitude to the world or to the plant. There's an honoring of what happens. There's um, a giving back of some part of the plant, either to spirit. There's a ritualized way of of taking the plant in, and then there's again gratitude, and that's pretty pretty consistent that I've seen um, in all cultures. That's that that is that is amazing. Um, and did, do you have to as well? I remember when working with John Young and we worked with various Native American communities. And you work with a community, and you want to pass on the teachings. There is that kind of you know sanctioning or working with the elders to kind of go through that process. Have you had to do something similar in in your area? Yeah, there was there's definitely a kind of a hazing that happens. That's very traditional um, and. A lot of it, honestly, has just been showing up and keeping my mouth shut, you know, for the first, really for the first five years, just showing up and keeping my mouth shut was a huge piece of that because that was tradition. And, you know, I also learned very quickly that I shouldn't be writing things down because mm. that was sort of immediately suspicious. So I did. I just stopped, you know. Um, and also just, yeah, like Woody Allen said, 90 percent of life is showing up, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just showing and, and being respectful. And this, you know, this protocol is when you walk into a room and there's a bunch of local people. You go to the oldest person first. You say hi to them and you go down in chronological order. You know, you don't make too much eye contact. You keep your body language appropriate. The, you know, it's just sort of the certain things you learn. And that's what uh, that's what allowed me to um, to develop relationships that um, that helped people to feel safe around me and to, um, and then now of course I'm sort of, I've been doing this for a long time. So 
um, it's appropriate for me to pass this on. I have, you know, my teacher said it was fine to teach and I do. And, but I never pretend to be Hawaiian. I never, I don't practice Hawaiian medicine, um, at all mm-hmm. because they're, that's their kuleana, the, that's their responsibility and privilege, not mine. So, but the ideas I think are very powerful and I use them in my practice. The, uh, well, speaking of ideas, I, I, I'm a um, five-element acupuncture practitioner, and, uh, and in that tradition, uh, it's, um, there's a, the, the focus of the healing is often on the on, on spirit side of things, spirit points and whatnot. And, yeah. of course, that, that then in turn eventually gets to healing the body. So in Hawaiian herbal medicine, is a similar type approach where we're focusing more on the spirit than on the constituents and whatnot? Oh, yeah. It's huge. There's in old Hawaii, um, not so much anymore, but in old Hawaii, there were um, herbs were gathered, specific herbs were gathered depending on the amakua or the deity of the Hawaiian family of the of the ancestors. So and they were paired. There's a Hawaiian creation chant called the Kumulipo, which is um, kind of like the Hawaiian book of Genesis. And in that, there are plants and animals that are connected to a deity. So uh, when a healing would happen, um, that had to be aligned with the cosmology. Right? That's what we do in Chinese medicine. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And in Hawaiian medicine, if we're not aligning, aligning ourselves with the universe in our healing, we're not doing anything from from that sort of view, that sort of perspective. We have to align ourselves with the cosmos. And this doesn't have to be spacey or new age. This is just sort of common sense. You know, we're not going to go out in the snow in our underwear and we're not going to be, you know, be eating a lot of hot food in the summer. So there's, it's not so much that it's just paying attention to the natural flow of things and aligning with that. And the Hawaiians turn that awareness of their environment into, um, into a cosmology. And that cosmology was brought down into the plant realm. Mm. So plants, there was no differentiation between a spiritual ailment and a physical ailment. It was thought to be the same thing. There was zero differentiation. After, you know, I, it's funny. I might have, I might have had a harder time, like in, in a previous version of me, kind of like, oh, well, that all sounds good, but like, you know, like, does that really work? But, but I'm telling you, as a having been a practitioner with that viewpoint for a while now, I, I you know, as you are too, I, I can't imagine, <laughs> you know, anything else working really. Well, we're such we're such complex creatures. I mean, we're you know we are not we are not just a bag of skin full of chemical reactions. Right. That whole thought is insane. Honestly, it's. I mean, science is a really good servant and a really poor master. Yeah. Honestly, right. (laughs) So it's like to think of ourselves as only. I mean, we are a bag of skin full of chemical reactions, Mm -hmm. but to think of ourselves only that way is madness. This is the only society in the history of the planet that would ever dream of thinking of ourselves that way, that we are, that we are somehow the same as a Mercedes-Benz. Right. Just, you know, the, the, again, it's that science is good at identifying the, the things themselves, but not the relationships between things. Hmm. And if you look at the, well, we know we're in quote-unquote alternative medicine, right? That's our business. Um, 
I mean, even if there's been studies done that even if there's plants in the hospital room that people get better more quickly. I mean, I believe that that a physician is a shaman and that that stethoscope is a rattle and that that, that relationship is primal and primary and we can't escape it. We can't escape the power of that that shamanic relationship between a practitioner and a and a patient. So, and when we, if we ignore the nonlinear parts of that relationship, the parts we can't quantify, we do so at our peril. That's that's my my personal opinion. Wow. So you probably have really come a long way in your own uh, uh, practice as far as how you treat a person, huh? Totally. And, you know, I'm always struck, I'm always struggling with the reductionist parts of myself, you know, I mean, you know, like sometimes my students will say, well, so I'll say, well, the chi moves here, chi moves there. And they'll say, yeah, but how does this really work? And I'll say, well, it really works with chi. Really how it works. You know, it's like, but in myself, I find myself thinking, no, how does this really work? Come on, you know. And that's me. That's the you know. I was raised in this culture, and I, I I can easily default to that reductionist way of looking at things. I have a a, a teacher of mine who's a um, a Taoist, and he, people will come up to him with a tumor, and they'll they'll um they'll say, "I've got this tumor the size of a grapefruit," and he'll look at him and say, "That's amazing. How'd you do that? How did you do that?" You know, <laughs> if you really want to get rid of this, it's pretty straightforward. We just figure out how you did it and then we go backwards, you know, and we can undo that. You did it, right? I mean, I didn't do it. You did it. Exactly. And, and, and they'll say, but if you, if you, if you really want to get rid of this, we can get rid of this. But if there's a part of you that is really attached to this, it's going to be a lot harder. Right. Exactly. Because attached to that is something that caused it in the first place, which is a lot harder to let go of when it's something on that spirit level. Right, which is a much bigger piece of shadow, right? Right. Oh, exactly. And he also will say, you know, death is not a failure. (laughs) Death is not a failure. This is like, as practitioners, we have to get over this. When our patients die, we haven't failed. You know, we just are not that powerful. You know, where you don't have that much control over the universe and things will happen. We only have, you know, we have to, from his perspective, everything is really about what does it mean to be human and really embracing that. So if if we were, um, if you were out uh, in North America, for example, and you're, or say you're out in in Boston, you're going back to your homeland this summer, right, in that area, and... uh, um, and and you were giving a plant walk, you know, you to complete people completely new at using herbs. You would probably show them dandelion, chickweed, plantain, right? A lot of really important common plants. Um, if I was in Kauai and we were going on a walk, what are a few that you would share with me? Oh, which plants you mean? Yeah, like on that kind of like when you're taking someone out. These and what, what really oh, important oh, ones? Uh, let's see. We have oh my god, there's so many plants. Um, <laughs> Let's see, in our certification program, we're using, um, going down the list, we're using Adjuratum. We, we have, I have a, a, a wildcrafting certification program that we're in right now. And right now, I think they're about at Porchilaca, which is, you're probably familiar with Purslane. Mm-hmm. 
echoes here. But so starting with A's, we start with Adjuratum, which is a um, Adjuratum conizoides, which is called Mylihohono, There's which is used for hemorrhoids and has PAs in it, pyrolizidine. So I'm kind of careful with that. There's there's Adlerides, which is um, a um, which is the Kukui tree, which has a which was brought by the Hawaiians. It is a, is a huge cultural and spiritual meaning to that because Kukui means light in Hawaiian. It also implies implies enlightenment. Uh, that was used as a as oil for lamps, um, but also was a um, kino lau or a, a, a manifestation of the the. Kamapua'a, who was the pig god, who was an, an incarnation of Lono, the god of medicine and farming and things. So, oh my god, what else? There's um, Adiantum, which is um, the maidenhair fern, okay. which is also used in Europe. Um, there's Bacopa monieri, which is called Brahmi in India, and that's used for um, the intellect, and it's also an antioxidant. Um, the Centella asiatica, which is Gotacola. I mean, you can go on and on, but I don't know how many of these grow in the mainland, but I'm kind of going down the list in my head right, of right, what right. now, yeah. Okay, well, I guess that's a tougher question to get into then, because you really, they're, they're, right, there's just plants absolutely everywhere, so I'm sure they're all your favorites, right? <laughs> oh, my favorites, oh, interesting, okay, well, my favorites would be go to cola, and then turmeric, and um, Biden's I really like, and I think that grows in the mainland too, the Biden's pilosa. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those are some of my favorites. Banana sap actually is probably my favorite antibacterial. Really, banana sap. So, what do you do with the? You go up to the. That's disgusting. I mean, it's really <laughs> terrible to put in your mouth. But um, the whole plant is is uh, medicinal. You can there's different different parts of the plant. Um, the sap is either stronger or weaker. From the tips of the leaves, it's very strong, and. Um, my Hawaiian teachers would stick soda cans on the ends of the banana leaves. It was just comical to gather the sap. But there's also techniques for getting it out of the trunk and stuff. Um, actually, Matt Kirk was showing me that I didn't know this. You could cut off a banana trunk and then dig out a hole, and you get fresh water coming up from that that you can drink. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's, you know, because the plant disinfects the, uh, the groundwater, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, potable. So, yeah, there's, I mean, it's, uh, I, I've been here so long, I, I often forget how how weird the stuff I'm doing is because I'm so out of the herbal mainstream, you know, I'm in this sort of backwater, so I'm sort of, some sort of like intellectual inbreeding, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool, though, that you have all these, you know, so many plants that you can explore and have several lifetimes that you would need probably to learn a little bit, right? <laughs> Exactly, and, you know, and experimenting on myself, which gets can be really comical sometimes. You know, it's like, um, is there a, a wis- what wisdom like when you're teaching people as far as um, you know, staying healthy, kitchen medicine type of stuff? Uh, do Do you recommend you know on top of eating whole foods and all that kind of thing? Well, just yeah, just listening to our bodies. Yeah. Really, bang- I mean, what what happens when I do this? You know, you watch short term and long term, and you know, I even tell my my students at the acupuncture college you know don't listen to me you know watch your body i mean if i drink carrot juice i have a half a glass of carrot juice i'll have diarrhea you know and that doesn't happen to anybody else except me so i don't care what the books say right this is my reality so with anything you know i had a 
I have a, a, a student um, that was chewing on a very common uh, aphrodisiac. I was teaching a class on aphrodisiacs, and she almost went into anaphylaxis, right? From And I, I searched the web, and I talked to all my Chinese teachers, and then nobody had ever heard of such a thing. There was no known reaction. So, so our bodies are way smarter than any book or, or any teacher. Right. So that would be my... That would be what I would say to my students, right? And it's it seems like a, you you go back to like the whole te- you know having a teacher thing. And for a lot of people, it's kind of hard to find that mentor or that teacher where they live. But it is so important for getting a, just a good solid foundation on. Because a lot of people don't really realize that the very basic thing of listening to your body and, and paying attention to that. It's kind of hard to just tell someone. You know, it's kind of something you have to have to experience, or someone has to guide you through it. Do you find that uh, that that's important, like for someone? Yeah, I think it's well. Yeah, both having a teacher and listening to our bodies, I think, are really important, and it, it happens slowly. You know, we. You know, I'm I'm a work in progress, and so is everybody else I know, including the people that are my teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I think it's really important to be. I honestly find the main block in um, most of the people that I see, including myself, is this sort of deep seated belief that we have to be something besides just human. There's this part of ourselves that just thinks that we have to do things right or be perfect or not make mistakes or, you know, and, and really I think the, the people that I see that are mo that I, that I think of as being most, um, in touch with the forest and with themselves are people that are very self-accepting of, and you know, still they, there's still a lot of self-inquiry and a lot of self-confrontation, but there's not this heavy kind of bad dog, bad dog, bad dog inner judgment going on. The inner critic has sort of taken a back seat and he's just brought out when he's needed. So I think that's huge. And I think that and along with finding a mentor, having somebody that can mentor that self-acceptance is really big also. Hmm. Exactly. Um, so what will your, uh, you're also teaching when you're teaching your class at the IHS, I think you're doing one on, on, uh, spiritual plants of Hawaii. Um, what would be an example of a, of a plant or, I mean, I've got, you've gone in already in this conversation a lot into this, but, uh, is there a specific plants you will teach people or is it more of an approach like we've been talking about? Probably both. I'm not. I don't remember exactly what I submitted to them. Uh, <laughs> I'll figure it out when I'm there. You know. Um, but the there's yeah there's there's. Um, I mean, we can talk about spiritual plants of Hawaii, but without understanding the context that those plants emerge from, it, it it's it's more challenging. It, it it's not. It's it's the Hawaiians have a view the same way the Chinese have a view. And with one view, you can fight a war, cook a meal, build a house, make love, heal somebody, you know, with one view. So traditional cultures often have a view, and it's often impossible to to take something out of context and to really understand it. So mm-hmm. I'll be talking about specific plants, but also the, the context that that whole idea emerges from I mean, the Hawaiians had 160 different words for rain, 130 different words for wind. Wow. There's, there's, um, they could identify, the Polynesian navigators could identify more than 20 different wave patterns on the open ocean. Wow. Right? That's and somebody, somebody's paying attention. Mm-hmm. And that, 
that knowledge and that awareness only comes in context of the the whole. So um, I'll, I'm sure I'll talk about individual plants, but I can't really. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to talk about the plant without. It's like in in a car. I, I couldn't talk about the brake system without talking about the tires and the steering wheel. And you know, it it has to be in context. So I'll speak about both. I'm sure. Well, tie that into somebody living in North America and and just you know with a, something like burdock or mullein or dandelion growing in the backyard. I mean, what what? You know, some, okay, what I'm saying that is that people can listen to you and oh, you're in Hawaii and it's this culture and there's these elders and all this kind of stuff. But there's also the connection which you just said about context and i'm sure that wisdom can be applied just for people looking out their back door so how would you make that connection i you know i don't I, that's a really good question so for somebody who's not in this sort of cultural context i think there's two things i mean culture is something that we make so we can certainly um make things up you know that it's fine to do that i mean i encourage my students to make up their own rituals it's not like it's not wrong to create culture we're doing it right now in this conversation we're creating culture right and it's huge you know we don't you know i i certainly don't i imagine you don't come from a tribal hunter gatherer <laughs> culture that is msu some of it is making stuff up <laughs> you know just msu and there's nothing all cultures msu but i find if we can if we can connect to a, an indigenous people that have lived in the area and hopefully learn their language a little bit, that that will help us. You know, all cultures morph, language morphs, and, and cultures morph and change over time. So it's not that it's a rule that if we're in Alaska, we have to study Inuit culture. It's just that it's going to help us as, you know, as we Caucasians create our own earth-centered culture, which is what we're doing, right? It's not that there's something, I mean, there is something sacred about traditional culture, but there's also something sacred about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I make culture without apology. I do not apologize for who I am. So I think that I think that we need both. I think we need to acknowledge traditional cultures and honor host cultures and learn from them what we can, but also go for it. You know, we need to just go for it and, and see what makes sense and bottom line is see what works. Hmm. That's brilliant because, uh, yeah, that really helps because then people see the, um, oh, just that it's so much more than just looking at a book, making a recipe, that it's a lifestyle, that it's a way of being, that it's something you bring into the world and it connects to your spirit. And that the healing is really through the relationships and not necessarily just through the constituents or the minerals or the vitamins. That it's, yeah, uh, exactly. And, and being willing to make mistakes, you know, being willing to perfectly <laughs> Yeah. Being messy. Being uh, messy. It's us, man. <laughs> so uh, if folks are coming to Kauai or, or uh, oh, sorry, you're not, you're, I mean. I, I'm on the Big Island and also I live on Maui. Okay, too. those two. Um, wasn't Matt on Kauai or is on? Matt's on Kauai, okay, yeah. Right. We're thinking about, Matt and I are talking about doing a, um, a week-long uh, nature skills class on Kauai in August. I think in the I think in the middle of August around the fifteenth. We're just setting it up now, so that'll be fun. Five days of of um serious dialogues from Matthew and myself. So it'll be It'll be interesting. Well, that's how I was wondering. Like, uh, I, see, I know you, you, you folks can see the Wildcrafter certification uh, information, but that seems to be kind of a more intensive thing. 
Um, but uh, do you for do you have experiences like like that you're doing with Matt or other herbal things that you're doing for people that are just visiting the islands? Um, sometimes, like on, on on Oahu, well, I'm I'm the dean of the acupuncture college in Hilo, so I've got like three or four um, full time jobs just doing that. It's like herding cats here, you know. <laughs> but um, right, so but when I can, and I, but my. I mean, I love Chinese medicine. I love this college. But my first love is, you know, on my hands and knees on the ground with my nose in the, in the dirt. You know, that's mm-hmm. my that's my first love. But this this is also important work. So when I have time, um, I do certifications depending on my schedule. We've got I've got a class coming up uh, through Transition University on Oahu. We have uh, one coming up at the end of February and one coming up at the end of March. So there are periodically classes and if people are interested um we can put a class together ad hoc spontaneously i just need uh i need enough people and a heads up and we can make it happen so hey that's an idea so someone out there wants to put together a little uh hawaiian botanical adventures uh trip and tie david just make sure you call me up and invite me <laughs> actually going to be yeah, on the Big Island uh, in a week, and I'm very excited. I need a little oh, bit give of a vacation. Up. You, can, you can go have a cup of tea or a beer. That would be awesome. And yeah. uh, that's maybe that's what you know, even got me to, to email and call you. I just kind of gear myself up for Hawaii. <laughs> Great. And actually, I'll be, I'm leaving. I'm going back to Maui on uh, somewhere around the somewhere between the 18th and the 22nd. So um, yeah. Cool. So if we're going to get together, it'll have to be before then sounds, on the Big Island. Sounds good. And um, oh yeah, your book. Uh, I wanted to mention so medicine at your feet, healing plants of the Hawaiian Kingdom, um, and you could get that off of EarthMedicineInstitute.com. Yeah, you can get it from me, or you can get it from Amazon. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I have another book called How to Worship the Goddess and Keep Your Balls: A Man's Guide to Sacred Sex, which is also available from the website. Oh, very cool. All right. And you can find those on Amazon, too? Yeah, you can get those on Amazon. Sounds like that's yet a a topic for another show. Gosh. (laughs) Yeah, my partner and I teach sacred sexuality. And, um, yeah, it's really really interesting stuff. Would have been good for Valentine's Day, too. Um, (laughs) So, uh, let's see. And you are speaking at the International Herb Symposium. And that's at internationalherbsymposium.com. LearningHerbs.com is a proud sponsor of that event. So you can visit David there, too, if you happen to be on the East Coast. Or actually, you can go from anywhere. And that's a great, great experience. I can't wait to get back there again. Um, We're also going to be with um, Margie. I'm going to teach a class at Margie's um, in Marblehead. Um, there's going to be a weekend class, I think the weekend before the symposium, I believe. So we'll be doing a, oh. and that'll be a, that's a, that's going to be a great class. There'll be a lot of hands-on stuff, a lot of very practical things you can do, Hawaiian techniques for relating to the forest and to plants and to each other. And I am uh, Googling um, Margie here and I'm just, tr- as, as we're live here and, uh, <laughs> Trying to get make make sure we can because Margie's site is uh, EarthSongHerbals.com. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and we're doing a weekend class there, and that's going to be that's going to be the one where we really get into the. Um, I mean, the the symposium's fine. I think I have an hour. I have two hour two one hour lectures, but with Margie's, we'll be going in depth into these practices and how to do them. So that'll be a lot of fun. Margie's wonderful. Yeah. Well, we've interviewed Margie on Herb Mentor Radio, and we also on HerbMentor.com we recorded an herb walk with her at Bastyr university that's going to be coming up eventually um we will we'll get that because we love margie 
and uh, and actually, Margie originally put me in touch with you, so I was really ex- um, very. Oh, excited. that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, and so uh, please, uh, that's a chance to hear David's uh, teach as well. So EarthSongHerbals.com. Thank you for mentioning that, um, and because uh, this will go out, and lots of people will, should get this in time to to to, Great. to go go to that that class too. So uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's been just. Thank you so much for taking this time. Uh, just you know, with us, it was. I mean, I really appreciate it. This was very enlightening, very awesome. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. And again, folks, uh, um, you can visit David over at EarthMedicineInstitute.com. David Bruce Leonard, thank you so much for joining me today on Inventor Radio. You're welcome, John. Thanks. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free ebooks, courses, and monthly lessons. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and Wildcraft, an herbal adventure game. Herb Mentor Radio is produced for HerbMentor.com, our community mentoring site. Herb Mentor Radio is copyright LearningHerbs.com, LLC, all rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it.